Welcome to the Creative Agency Account Manager Podcast with me, Jenny Plant, from Account Management Skills Training. I'm on a mission to help those in agency client service keep and grow the existing client relationships so their agency business can thrive. Hello and welcome to episode 18. Today I've got something a little bit different. I'm interviewing James Aldridge. He's an account manager with 21 years experience, but in a completely different industry. He works in software and he works for a company called Anaplan. He's been there six years. And last year in 2020, Anaplan's revenue was 350 million. So James looks after the clients in the telecommunication space. And today he's going to share with us during this interview tips and tricks for what it's like to be in another industry that we can perhaps learn from for our own industry. So he's going to cover the importance of building your own personal reputation and network to gaining referrals, why aligning your values with the company you work with is so important to your career success, the difference between a business development role and account management role, and James has played both, so he has a great perspective on that, how to gain respect from the people that work for you in your team, and how to develop your existing client business. And there are so many more insights into maybe the world that we don't get exposed to all the time. So I really hope you find this valuable for your creative agency account management role. So today's episode, I've got something a little bit different. I'm really thrilled to say that James Aldridge has joined me. And James actually works in account management, but in a completely different industry. And I thought how exciting it would be to have someone from a completely different industry to give us a perspective on account management, to see what we can learn from other industries. So James Aldridge, he works in the software industry and he looks after accounts in the telco space. So James, would you mind spending a few minutes and it's just talking about your role and how you actually got into account management. Hi, yeah, thanks, Jenny. So I'm a major account director. I've been selling software and, uh, and been an account manager in effect for 21 years now. And I, I wanted to be in sales. And, uh, and of course, you go from business development into account management when, when you bring new clients on board. And so I've had a mix between hunting and farming for the last 21 years. And tell me the value of account management, because I ask the same question to everyone, but I would love to hear it from your perspective, having been both in the business development side and the account management side. What do you think the value of the role of account management brings to both your company and also to your clients? Uh, well, I think that I don't really honestly see a huge amount of difference between business development and account management. I think that part of what you're doing as a uh, looking after a client is to extend your network anyway, which is very similar in the way that you do it with within a new account and, and how you establish the relationship between your company and yourself and the client as well is a kind of a reflection of within the pre-sales process or how it should be within the post-sales process as well. So the value I bring to my clients, say, a, a is a, a knowledge, a expertise within the platform that we support and sell, the service, also within the industry, but also as a conduit into other organizations as well. So a lot of my clients want to learn what other companies are doing, sometimes within their own industry and also outside of it as well, and and uh, give an idea on best practice and, and, uh, and opportunities that they could leverage through this kind of combined network as well. So kind of the value that I bring to my company to support that is a single point of contact. 
I have access to some of the best people in my industry that work for my company that support me. I'm very lucky in that base as well. And they are always a professional reflection upon the company, but more importantly on me as an individual and my integrity to that organization. Because ultimately within business development, people buy from people and through account management, that trust is sort of elongated through the life cycle of having a client. You said something really interesting to me before we had this interview, which was your values. And you said, it's really important for me to align my personal values with the values of the company I'm working for. Can you finish off that story? Because I thought it was such a powerful thing to say. And you started off by saying that, that it was the most important thing for you. Why is that important? Yeah, it is. I think the, through your career, the one thing that follows you is a reflection of your behavior through each of your clients. And the value you really bring is your network. So everybody that works with me and for me on the support of my clients, I say that these are your clients as well. These are your contacts, you know, and how you define yourself is a reflection on the values of you and an individual. If there's a misalignment between my company values and how we behave, me personally, then it becomes an integrity issue. And it won't just sit with that company, it sits with the individual as well. So yeah, values are 70% of the reason why I work for a particular organization are the values match between what I believe is important. And of course, you align them to the client as well. And that's why business development and account management are not that different because, because it's a continuation of it. So the company feels that they can work with individuals but primarily, they believe the platform that we support and sell is the best in the market and meets their requirements. And they're also going to be able to follow that through because in any project that I do, occasionally there are issues that come up and the client needs to feel as though we're approachable and we're contactable and they need to feel that we have their sustainability and success at heart. And that is really at the heart of the core values. We say customer first. In everything we do, we also talk about white gloves experience, you know, making sure that at every point of contact within my organization of how we engage and interact has to be a certain level of dedication and quality, and it has to reflect the values of, of that company. Primarily, authenticity for me is the most important thing. You know, we talk about being your true self. You can't fake it, and you can't fake passion. You can't fake enthusiasm. You're either enthusiastic for what you're supporting and what you're selling, or you're enthusiastic to work with a client that you're working with, and you're enthusiastic in the role that you've got. And again, making sure that uh, at the core of that is, is, is your values is, is the most important thing for me personally, and the reason why I choose in my career who I work for. There's a couple of things that I want to pull out there, which were really interesting for me. The first thing you said, which I think is going to resonate with a lot of people listening, is I also bring the value of my network. Just the first part of the question really is, how proactive were you and have you been in networking? And how do you network? Okay, yeah. Honestly, everything. So before I joined my current company, I, I worked for a company called Anaplan, and before that was Oracle, and before that SAP. So I worked for big organizations that will already have an established brand within a particular organization. And when you join a smaller company and you're starting to reach out, you realize in part that the value you had previously as being part of a big company like Oracle doesn't exist anymore. So you really need to reestablish your customer brand. And that is through the network. So there's a lot of pressure on uh, people at the moment. How do you get access? How do you reach out to people? Because you can't call up a, an office. Cold calling is completely unacceptable in my view if you're calling someone's personal mobile. But on LinkedIn, you can get access to people's mobiles. There are companies that will gather people's personal mobiles. But for me, it's, it doesn't reflect the ethics of how I manage it. So I do it through referrals. 
I do it through referrals with a partner that we work with, the, the GSIs, or I do it through other companies that I work with or, or people that I know already. So these days, everybody knows everything and everybody can find everything out. So and I think 80% of the sale is done before you even engage with the client. So how you represent your network and how you support your network is probably the most important thing in my role, which if I know that I'm introducing people that will add value to the clients that I'm working with and also will support the credibility that I'm working hard to establish within there as well, then it becomes kind of a quid pro quo. We'll support each other through that journey. And uh, the partners that I work with, like Deloitte, Accenture, EY, et cetera, they, they will help introduce me into different organizations because they know that I reflect a particular level of uh, expertise within my field, which is a value to the clients that they're engaging with as well. And then again, it's completely aligned to what is the objectives of our companies collectively. And ultimately, I'm going to keep saying it, the sustainability of the clients, because at the moment, it's not about what are you going to plan for what comes next, it's about the speed at which you react to it. So if I can help become a conduit into my organization to support that, and people are losing their roles as well, they're losing their jobs as well. So part of what I'm doing as well is, is engaging them uh, with other companies that are looking for people, because while one industry comes down, another goes up. And, you know, technology has been pretty weathered ex ex exceptionally well. So if we can help support those individuals through that journey, it becomes a much longer career plan for myself and for them as well. With referrals, do you tend to organically sort of receive referrals or do you actively ask for referrals where it benefits you? Yeah, yeah, every, every, there's one of the things I always try and do at the end of every meeting is there somebody else that, that, that this would be a value to? Is there somebody else that this would be useful to? Somebody else that I could speak to as well? You know, nine times out of ten, that's the one, and I just keep it to me. It becomes quite personal with what I do and what we do. However, there's, there's, if it quite often resonates, you can get, you can sort of grow that network as well you know and i do that as well with the, the partners we work with where we know they're engaged in different clients you know who can you recommend that we go and speak to can i reference you can i reference our conversation and then try and gain access that way you've got to be a lot smarter these days on how you grow it's a lot slower a hell of a lot slower to, to work but i was lucky that I, because of the company i'm currently with and i build it up for nothing that uh, I'm well established in that area now and as one of my clients will tell me there's nothing that's been thrown at us we haven't managed to deliver upon and when you meet that expectation in any conversation you have and any form of communication you have whether or not you put a LinkedIn post you're doing a direct mail you know on any any form of communication or creating a webinar it's my time is more valuable now and my home life is more disruptive <laughs> ensure that it's very specific to that individual i don't think the shotgun effect that you know we used to do back in the early 2000s it really works anymore i think i think it's got to be much more tailored and, and much more specific and a lot gentler as well a lot softer touch this is of interest if it is great if not is there somebody else i can talk to that you think it will work for you see, it makes total sense and it feels like a no-brainer when you say it. But actually, I teach people how to ask for referrals because, believe it or not, one of the things people struggle with is actually how to ask. And particularly if you're an account management role and you're asking your client for a referral, you know, you've obviously got a long-standing relationship with them and you don't want to damage that relationship. So there's a real fear sometimes with, you know, appearing too pushy, saying it in the wrong way, getting a rejection. Any tips or advice or words of wisdom for anyone that's maybe in that position? 
Yeah, I think I think yeah, part of the your intuition should tell you. you I always say, go with your gut on everything. So if you don't feel it's the right time, then don't do it. And, and it's a pretty simple thing to do. But but I think it's it's quite a British thing to do. America's much more accepting of sales and the, the acceptance of the role in what it is. It's always quite an embarrassing thing we believe to be involved with that. But I think as soon as you accept that there should be a level of empathy. And if you've been respectful and appreciative of the person's time, they should also understand that you're doing a role and doing a job as well. And never be afraid just to say, you know, is there somebody else I could talk to? And Or can you put me in contact with so-and-so? And are you happy for me to use your name when I do it? No? Okay, well, you, uh, but you'll still give me their email address or whatever. Because the way that you've reflected yourself in that first conversation should set the bar of how you reflect yourself in the next conversation. Because if you're asking somebody to refer you and you've gone in, poorly you've gone in aggressively you're too pushy then they're not going to refer you full stop you know and you know if you really want to wind up somebody in sales then you, if you get a call from a headhunter that's very aggressive you should pass the name of one of your friends or somebody you don't like and say yeah go get them they're really interested <laughs> in that conversation but actually for, for me two things are really transformed one is in my industry SaaS, software as a service it is easier to cancel a subscription and replace something because technology is is so agile these days. Whereas when I worked at Oracle, you know, the investment level and, and how complicated it was to put in place meant that you were stuck. So the renewal becomes more important. And, and that's why if you get a win and you get somebody that buys into it and you make them personally successful and you appreciate that there is a per- something personal for them in it, then it becomes a no-brainer for them to make that referral and be part of that journey as well. And, and I know I'm sort of jumping between that first point of contact, you know, finding the contact, reaching out, getting the project, but exactly the same step throughout the process, which is whether or not it's business development, account management, pre-post sales. You know, the quality and clarity of communication is what's important. And know your subject, know the industry, know the client, and reflect yourself with a, with a level of uh, credibility as well. Tell me about those renewal conversations you have. Like you said, that's a really important point. And particularly the average value of one of your accounts is approximately how much? Oh, I'm not really allowed to say, I'm afraid, but uh, it's but all publicly. It is publicly available information, but our earnings school's coming out soon, so I'm not allowed to say anything about that. But, that's that's but, absolutely uh, fine. Uh, let's just say, it, uh, yeah, it, it's between high six and seven figures between what, what, what I work with as well. And But it, it sort of becomes... It, to me, the value that's realised off the back of it. So we, I make a very conscious effort to work with a client and get my team to work with them to help them at certain points understand what is the value of that investment because it can it can be lost. You invested this much. What was your, you know, not just your ROI, but what's your hard and soft touch value of it? So at the renewal point, if you're thinking, well, we're spending seven figures, but we're making ten figures back easily, or you know, or ten plus, you know. Spending a million, you get a hundred million back. That's a pretty good level of investment, and and we can demonstrate those kind of things. So the renewal point, if it, it shouldn't be a point of we want it cheaper, we want the same but for cheaper. It should be very much a point of are we getting the value we expected out off the back of it? If we done our job right, then the re- renewal becomes a no-brainer. But but the, I always say up front in my first ever meeting, the renewal is more important than the land. If we don't get the land right, then we won't get the renewal. And for the sustainability of my company as a shareholder in my company as well, that the renewal becomes more important because of the long-term goal. And if you get that land, then you get the opportunity, and you meet expectation, you get the opportunity to grow, or what we say, expand through that journey, then the renewal is even bigger than it, than it started. But with a focus on the value to the client, 
Because if, again, if, if your investment levels are quite there and the return you're getting there, based on whatever business case you're measuring against, then you know, it's a no-brainer. Oh, and by the way, if you repeat that same principle across every part of your business, then your investment level doesn't accelerate as quick as that, but the savings, the incremental value do accelerate far greater as well. And often companies like, in, especially in the you know, software industry, they don't take the time to work with a client to help them understand that. Somebody who originally invested in it leaves, somebody else comes in, we've got this stuff, we don't really understand what benefit we're getting from that, but we've always been using it. And it's such an important aspect of what we do, because when you're going from what we used to sell, which was on-premise technology, Let's make a significant investment. Let's spend a year implementing it or two years implementing it, and we're stuck. Now you can make a reasonable investment, and you can get it in place within a month or two, and and you get value within the fiscal year. And we need to just continually measure ourselves against a client's expectation for value. I know I said values a lot and value, but yeah, my core values and value, monetary or intangible or tangible benefits to the client as well. That's a really good point. I've got an idea for the podcast title now. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) So I was thinking, actually, what you said, a lot of this comes down to the metrics that you calculate at the beginning, isn't it? Like, what is the value that we're expecting to provide to this client based on the investment they're making and what we've seen as the expected returns? And then it's about making sure that that is visible throughout the relationship until you get to the point of renewal, because then you can prove what you've achieved for the clients and I think the reason I'm saying that is because sometimes in the creative industry it's less easy to have those hard metrics at the beginning or you know or it's overlooked so I think what you're saying is to put you in a good position you need to reflect back at those renewal moments to say look how much we've achieved look we'll look what we've done so far so that yeah. the renewal becomes a decision that they make very easily all through the journey just some of the projects I do they're looking for hard benefits but a lot of the projects also get intangible or soft benefits off the back of it. And they should never be ignored. I mean, in my view, it's productivity and efficiency gains. What can you do? What better decisions have you made after using what we're doing? How do you better support your customer? And ultimately, within the industry I support in tel- telco, it's all about the customer journey. So the same way that I try and ensure that every touch point I have with my client is a certain pedigree, the best we can, or, or honesty. Let's say honesty is probably better because there's things we can do and things we can't do. And it's better that the client knows that as early as possible as well in the same way that they try and do the same thing as well for their customers. But if you've got 32 million or 54 million customers, that's a lot to manage and support that way. But they try and reflect every project they try and do is how does it impact the customer? Does it give us one version of the customer? So, there may not be an instantly recognizable, tangible benefit to a hard metric against that. You know, a lot of them to realize after you've done it. And actually, it's one thing I do see that the Americans do very, very well in their projects. They'll, they'll, if they got 10 projects, they'll kick off 10 projects. Two of them won't work, but the other eight would be great. A lot of the, again, the cultural difference over here is they're much more, much more conservative with what we're going to do. If it already works, why, why fix it? And you've got to say, well, it doesn't need fix it, it needs improving. And there's something else that COVID has really transformed as well. It's given companies the opportunity now to, um, to think about where they're going to be in three years and focus very much on what the outcome is going to be. Everything's about the outcome. How are we going to be able to put ourselves in a position to come out of this quickly? 
not just within what I do, but everything around supply chain and supported networks as well are built around this as well. And, and the intelligent you know, individuals that I work with are really thinking, well, I already understand what we do within our industry. Tell me what that industry is doing. What can we learn from that industry? And the thing about software companies are they're kind of a conduit between different industries. You know, we're like a central point that we work with oil and gas work with travel and transport work with the banks you know and they, and there's not that many other industries that do cover such a wide spectrum of, of of knowledge base as well and again that's the network value is you know would you be interested in learning what such and such does you know yeah can you put me in contact with the cfo of hsbc or something and that and that's really what we're trying to value for when i just end up becoming a conduit my other most important thing for me is that it's a well-used quote that Steve Jobs said about having people that are better than him working for him. And it's the same thing I try and do within my team as well. I, I understand that there are things that they do a hell of a lot better than me in different areas. And then just making sure they're unable to do it. And I know we talked about this previously, and that's a sense of fun. It can be really tough when you're under a lot of pressure to deliver something within a particular time frame. And you've done everything you can. You try to control as much as you can. And you get to a point where nothing else you can control. It's up to the client there. And it could be out of their control as well. And you have to accept that. But through that whole, through that whole journey, the way you motivate internally is important as how you motivate externally as well. And that's the sense of passion and enthusiasm. And I'm going to bounce back to values. And my team know that because I speak so passionately about the values, they're reflected. They know that no decision I'm going to make is going to be counterproductive to the client because they don't have the targets that I have. Their interest is purely the client. My interest is my company as well, and make sure we meet our number. You know, I try my best to reflect that, and you know, I've been very lucky and very successful in doing so. But I always say that, especially now, we may need to make decisions in the short term that are in the client's interest more than they're in our interest. So we need to balance the scales a little bit more in their favor. Make them sustainable, and we'll see the benefit in the long term as well. I'd like to focus in on that, on the targets that you are set by your company. And also perhaps this could be tied into how you grow an account. You know, so you've got a really good client. It's huge. You've got a team working on it. Presumably those touch points throughout the relationship, what do they look like? Quarterly business reviews or kind of strategic meetings that you're having on an ongoing basis, reflecting on the metrics and progress? Or yeah, do you do you so. get invited to client planning meetings or C-suite conversations? Yeah, for all of the above pretty much, yeah. So it, it depends particularly where they are within their cycle. So it's seasonal in part, that there are more important periods than others. It depends on whether or not, uh, sorry to use the word again, that we're not we add value in joining that meeting and doing so. We have a role and a purpose to play. If we don't, don't do it. There's you know things that be more important to do. Dead against meetings for the sake of meetings. Even more now that I'm at home and you can see your day be a slot of 30-minute meetings with no lunch break or anything, it becomes impossible to manage and everyone's working longer. So what we try and do is really get an agenda really tight on, on what we're doing and why we're doing it. But yeah, there are, we call them all of the possible sessions that we do quite often with C-Suite, which is, again, you know, what could else we be doing? Let's use our imagination and come up with something else we could be doing. And then we pull in the relevant people from out, you know, external companies that have an expertise within a particular field to support that. But the cadence is important internally as well, because I, I don't feel the need to be on every call that I have, that my company has with a client. I just make sure they're all aligned to the same strategy within there as well. And I trust the people that, that manage that and support that as well. So, but that's... That can, that can be reflected throughout the year. But a lot of what we do is we get pulled into, we want to do this, can our plan do it? 
And, you know, the thing about what we sell and the service we have and the platform that we've built is that, yeah, it pretty much can do anything. And it's pretty unique in the marketplace, which is why we've been very successful. But ultimately, we drive it right back to education, make sure the client knows and expect, has an expectation of what they're going to deliver through. And that's when we set up the project planning effect of, you know, when are we going to do the sprints? When are we going to have the, the reviews, you know, the scrum reviews and the different parts throughout the process? And is it's going to get busier at that point when we agree the user stories and then deliver against them? Okay, well, we're going to have more meetings then and manage that. But part of my role is to make sure that my team are not pulled into too many meetings that are not reflective of, of what they should be doing as well. And it, it's just everything. There's no set structure to anything. It all depends on whether or not there's where the client wants to have that conversation. So although sometimes we become a bit reactive, which is absolutely fine, and we should be more reactive at this point as well. We make the recommendation. Can we have a conversation? You don't know what you're going to be talking about? <laughs> then don't do the meeting. You know, And that's why a lot of people in my company want to talk to my clients. They want to, oh, can we be introduced to such and such and talk about that? What do you want to talk about? No, there's no value in having that conversation with that individual. I can give you that information. So let's step away from that. And part of that's me protecting because, of course, all of my colleagues want, couldn't, oh, can your client go and talk to this one? Because we really want them to do that project. Okay. And I get that a lot, you know, 10 times a week or something. Hmm. No, that's not in the, my client's interest to do so. But you know, on the back of it, one of my big clients has done a, a number of events in the last couple of weeks. We've delivered their project, we've delivered against expectation, and then they're now talking about it. And and again, it's, that's the longer goal, which is the reference out the back of it. And it's that's the mass market reference. Goes on YouTube, goes on LinkedIn, you know, goes on The Economist, all that kind of stuff now. And then and anybody can see that. Oh, and guess what? Then we start getting the inbounds coming through off the back of that kind of thing. We want to find out what they did. We want to learn more how they did it. And then we go back in that journey of cadence, control, support. Obviously, this is very relatable for an account manager that might be listening that's working in the creative industry. And what you've said, which is really interesting that I think we can all learn from, is how do you raise your own value for the client? And what you've said, you've said a few things, really getting under their skin and understanding what their goals are and being quite protective of their kind of time and who gets exposure also your knowledge of other industries you know that must be very valuable for them when they want a perspective on how other people do it if they've got a particular challenge or problem also your expertise because you've built up an expertise in one particular area which is obviously very valuable and then the value of your network who do you know who can you bring to the table who can you introduce us to you know you said i'm bringing in other experts because i can see that the they can lend some additional value so i think you know, everything that you're saying here is very relatable for our industry as well. And there's perhaps sparked some ideas for other people to think about what they could be doing differently to make themselves more valuable. Honestly, I don't really see any, you know, if we base it at sales, I don't see any difference in, in any industry or anything you're doing. I think, you know, whether or not you're selling a car or you're selling medicine or you're selling phones or anything like that, there's the, the first thing is, understand what is of value to the person you're selling to. So it's not feature function chucking out. I'm really big on that. I remember when I went to go and buy a telly or a DVD player and the sales guy just started telling me a whole lot of stuff that I, I had no interest in. I had one particular thing I was after in this telly and I ended up just walking out and doing it myself online. And and that's the big difference. Was no, he added no value, so I didn't follow through the process. But I would have gone and bought it there as well. You get to a point where you're happy to pay a premium 
if you know you're going to get something good off the end of it and doing that. And that's the value. So you imagine the baseline cost for anything you're going to buy. But so the bigger reason you're buying from that particular organization is the people. And yeah, that, that's all to do with the, the value you add. But regardless of what you're selling and what you're supporting your clients with, it's the same principle. The specifics are the product. The specifics are who you're selling to, but the nature of how you behave yourself. And that's the authenticity bit, that there are good people in this industry. You know, can't imagine they're not so good ones. You know, people can be very successful through no fault of their own, I say because they're very lucky they're timing they're on the point but they sort of get found out and you get your culture right and your work ethic right and you do the right behaviors and then ultimately you'll be successful and the people around you should support you in doing so as well absolutely because the end result actually is a little bit of a commodity and for many clients it's about the experience of working with you as well like is it a pain in the ass to get to the end result you know you might be getting me the same business outcome but I want to kind of make sure that that journey isn't like pulling teeth. Going back to my previous question about growing an account, obviously there are different ways of growing an account, but tell me your view on best practice when it comes to thinking, okay, I've got a target and I've got a really good client. We've been working for a while together. They're really happy with where we've got to and what we're doing. Where do you see the growth opportunities? First thing, get it right first time. So deliver on whatever you promise. You deliver on your promise, you earn the right to do something else. If you don't deliver on your promise, then you don't earn the right to do something else. I think when we started, we called it expand before you land. Because of the complexities in onboarding a new client and because we started sharing the vision of what we were doing across an organization. When you're working with a big company, you can do that. You know, there are, there are multiple entities and multiple different people. But in what I do, they will have pretty much the same core challenges and the quicker you solve those challenges, the quicker they get value. So you start thinking, well, I should be doing this. I should be telling them about this. You know, I should be going to the next person because it's in their interest. And then you start realizing through the whole thing that if in my company, I do a project and I save my company 10 million quid or something, it's good for my career as well. It's in my personal interest to do this. Then I put it on my CV and then I accelerate my career. And then you start realizing that this is the bit you can't fake, which is if you really believe in what you're doing, then it, your next thing is it's kind of like your duty to try and help the people that you're working with to be more successful, and they will make their company more successful. And doing so, their careers will be more successful. So some of the people I've worked with initially are now have moved on to much bigger, better things off the back of it, which is great because that's my ultimate goal. Because if they've helped me become successful and I've helped them become successful... If I recommend they do a project and it fails, then it, does, it goes completely the other way. So that's part of the, the truth and honest self you have and the project you're doing. And you only know that if you know what you're doing. So how do you expand from what you're doing? Get it right. Have the confidence from when the people that you work with to tell you it's going to work. And again, that's what I do. I have a chap that works with me. He's incredibly skilled, uh, incredibly knowledgeable. He keeps me in check, which is, I say to him, will this work? And if he says yes, then we know it will work. And he's got that level of credibility. And if it does, then we'll deliver against it. And if I see any point of failure through that process, then I've got to be on it quick. And that's the internal cadence that we manage as well. And you get it right, and then you expand successfully. And then you'll see that renewal's bigger, which means that, it, you know, you think, oh, it's a much bigger, it's a greater risk. No, it shouldn't be a greater risk. If you've done the right things, the client sees the value, and they will continue. And they want to do more. Oh, and by the way, that person you sold to has now gone to the other company. 
they've now recommended us as well. If you look at the growth rate of my, my company in the last 10 years, well, we went from nothing in a shed in York was where the technology platform was written by a chap that I've known for 20 years and a guy that, that I worked with when I first ever started, an ex-New Zealand SAS captain who, who became, you know, started this company again. We're now listed on the US Stock Exchange. You know, we're, I, th- I forget our latest valuation, but it must be well over eight, nine billion as well. So I was employee number 243. In six years, we're now over 2,000, two and a half, 3,000. And the growth, the hyper growth that we go through, and of course, when you grow and you're more successful, the risks are even greater because you could lose focus, because you could lose the reason why you became successful in the first place. And the reason you became successful in the first place is because you met the client's expectations and they recommended you. And they recommended you internally and they recommend you externally. And they brought you with them on their career. And when they started with another company, they brought you with them. Not the, you know, sometimes the company, but what I see, they come to me. They reach out to me, James, I'm now this place. Can you come and have a conversation? Yeah, love to. Now, I don't look after that client quite often, so it makes somebody else successful. But as we all should be shareholders in our companies, either materially or, you know, the fact that we're employed by them as well, you know, it's our duty to then support that growth continually as well. That's a very, very inspiring story. I mean, what you've also said is that you're continually solving challenges for clients, coming up with solutions, making sure that they work, then presenting them. So it sounds like you're continually adding value. The other thing I want to ask you is, given that your your (laughs) company's grown so fast and so phenomenally well, how do you make sure during that hyper growth that you do make sure that you get the right people on in your team that they're all following the same lead as you've just explained about making sure the ethics and values are aligned i mean how do you make sure that that happens you referred to it earlier on actually were you doing internal training to make sure that each level is yeah enablement we call it and you know that again and we do we do a buddy system as well. We buddy people up with other people so they can learn from them as well. But I, I think it's very difficult because the culture of the company you think will be is set really up for us in the US as well. That's where the values are. And quite often sales has a very different culture from the rest of the company. So you rely on your management structure to reflect that as well and manage downwards to support that. So all I can do is protect my little franchise my little ecosystem and the communication between my company and the clients that i've introduced into my company and that makes it a bit different it becomes quite personal when you do that so the evolution of account management from business development to account management is that it's different when you inherit something because it's an opportunity to be better than the person before but it's also an opportunity to be not as good as the person before Mm. With, with me it's that thing well james has been with us for six years he knows us it becomes more of a challenge when somebody else comes in because you know, they'll lose a little bit of the feeling they can just pick up the phone and, and, and know instantly what's going on. So I can only do that. And, you know, there will always be points where somebody will come in and they will have their own view because of how they worked previously at a different company. And it will build change. I talked earlier on about the external brand. That's the, the bit that's valuable to me. My previous company was all by the internal brand. And some people that come from very big companies come in with their internal, you've got to build your internal brand and focus on your internal brand. That's where you manage upwards, not managing downwards. I try and make sure that supporting downwards, because if they're doing what they should be doing, then it's a good reflection on me as well. 
And that's fundamentally of, of how I see any level of account management. But I've got a people, I always say they work for me, they work with me, and they very much do because they have different reporting lines as well. But culturally, as a company grows, you're not going to be able to do it, unfortunately. You know, as your best will in the world to get the right people in that have the same values as you. And you'll see that people who have been there for a long time will move on and they, they will keep searching for what they have previously and they'll find it because, you know, that's why they're successful. And companies will become too big to fail as well. But as long as I'm here, as long as I'm doing this, then I'll continue to try and reflect the values that I bought into when I joined my company with the clients that I work with. And it seems to be working, which is great. And that's the important thing for me. And for the rest of the company, you know, again, I'm very lucky that a lot of people that work with me and around me have been with on the journey for a long time as well. We, we try and make people more vested in the company-wide success through through shares and stock as well, get them reflective on that. I think it's a nice to have, you know, I'm very much focused on what my target is and, and the customer success. Everything else is a nice to have. And then you just sort of hope for the best, to be honest with you. There's no way to manage it at my level. If I was running the company, I could manage it. But that guy's in the US. And, and I, you know, luckily in the company I work with, I get a very strong sense of passion and value and enthusiasm from that individual. So I have a huge amount of respect for him. He, he's gone out of his way to earn the respect, not expect the respect from his job title, but earn the respect. And I'm very lucky to spend a lot of time with him and I have direct access to him to help support me as well to be successful. And I hope that he also and the, the people also in, in our board, the leadership team, see the sense of enjoyment that the people that work with me get from working on these accounts. And it was hard to start with when you start with nothing's happening and you, you know you're, you're calling everybody and everyone's saying not interested but then you know it, it works you know you, you whether this guy over here has managed to do that you know x y and z oh that's interesting tell me more about it and i'll make you as successful as that as well and mm. quite often you do your career you will not find companies that have products to sell which are as good as some i'm very lucky that the one i got at the moment just happens to be the best of what we've done and again it all came back to meet expectations, match the client's goals and values and continually display them. And we call it customer first. Uh, as long as we show customer first, then, then I'll still be here. I think that's nice to have, you know, a mantra or a saying that everyone you know, can no, I'm default. I'm probably an idealist, Jenny. I'm probably completely delusional and an idealist. But... Not at all. No. Do you know what it's it kind of, <laughs> what it says to me is that you're happy doing what you're doing. And I think with all of the years of experience I've had working with different account managers, it really comes down to that. It comes down to culture. You said it starts from the top and it spreads down. So if someone at the top has that genuine, you know, authentic passion, energy, and, you know, really wants everyone to succeed and sets people up for success, it really does reflect down throughout the organisation. I think what happens negatively is when you don't have the right leadership in place because that very very quickly spreads like wildfire and that's where you get cultures you know uh, play the blame game and and it's just destructive so i think everything that you said is really really key really this you know culture the buddy system was a great tip as well i think particularly while we're all working remotely where we don't have that physical interaction with each other how do you make sure that the new people coming through are picking up those values are there any other tips particularly around you know the situation with how we're working remotely is there anything that you could share that might be valuable for agencies that are working remotely in terms of making sure the account management team are performing at the highest level possible 
That's a good question, actually, because the way we're working now, and, I, and I'll reference the US a few times, but the, the way we're working is how the US works. It's, it's how a lot of Central Europe works as well, where physically you can't be in the same room. We're sort of blessed in the UK, the fact that you can pretty much travel anywhere within a day easily to get to me. And the old view of you've got to take, shake someone's hand and look them in the eye. No one makes eye contact anymore this way. We're all looking, looking at ourselves and we're looking away from the camera. That becomes very difficult. I think it increases the value on written communication and clarity and thinking, what would you want to receive and how would you want to read it? Because my junk mailbox has gone through the roof with material I'm receiving as well. And what a waste of someone's time to do that. And what is the best way they could reach out to me? And sometimes it's been a little bit more creative. So if you're in the creative industry, you know how you do that first, every communication has to be reflective of your product. And what you're selling. So it has to be a high quality. It has to be very tailored and very customized to those individuals as well. I read somewhere that 98% of cold emails are failing this year. So my general advice is to be more creative in how you find somebody and set up a first conversation. Keep them short. Keep them to the point. No one's looking for a buddy. No one's looking for a drinking partner at the moment and doing that kind of stuff. And that's not a relationship. That's the 90s view of it. And there are a lot of salespeople that still have a very 90s view of it, but but that, that's a very different way of working. So I think that I think that what you're always thinking of is, you know, if I'm going to be in a conversation with somebody, I'm going to be trying to define a relationship, then every single point of communication, whether or not you're using LinkedIn, which I still I think it's an incredibly valuable tool, but it's become a bit more of a social media tool, which has become a real issue for me. So I, I don't do emails. I, you know, if I reach out, try and connect to somebody, it's because I know somebody else. And I've established my external brand off the back of that, which means that it, you know I can engage with somebody within my industry and help support them. So I look at my technology partnerships. I look at my, my you know the global systems integrated partnerships as well that we work with, and how we can support them and and think can I get you to help support me in what I'm doing as well? I don't know about creative industries about how what that supportive structure is, but but really the first point should be in every company. We don't do this enough. Is to go around the people in your own team. Who do you know? Where have you been before? Who can I talk to? That's the easiest one. You know, the next one is understanding people's careers. I call it career mapping, which is where they've been before, where they're going. You know, how how can I find out about them and do they know so-and-so? And you start putting that seven degrees together and then ultimately everybody knows everyone. And it all comes down to that thing. Everybody knows everyone. Everybody knows everything. Everybody knows when you're not reflecting who you should be and you, your behavior is not conductive to proper business we get rid of them people pretty quick don't be one of those people be one of the people that means that i want to reach out to you or i want to help you and finally the only other thing i'll say that helped me through my whole career never be afraid and the first thing you say is can you help me i need your help as soon as you say that people start listening if you put in an email oh, i hope you well why don't you give me a hand I need, I need your help. Can you help me do that? It takes somebody less than 10 seconds to respond and say, yeah, go and talk to that person. And then you got it. So you know, never be afraid to, to make that make that ask because you know what they're doing in the US and uh, the US are about a year ahead of us because they take chances because they go ahead for projects. And then what we normally say is however the US are doing, we will be there in 12 months later. And it happens, it always happens. But we need to encourage people to make changes quicker. And uh, regarding way of working, I think everyone's settled into it. I think everyone's used to it. When the schools go back, I think people are quite happy not to not to, to have the choice to go back into the office. And certainly my clients are saying that no more than 30% of the workforce will be in the office at any one time. So it will change it. You know, when you go into the city, 
you'll be sitting with somebody and they would have made their way in to have that meeting. And you've got to think, well, why am I doing this meeting? Is it a value? If I'm not doing it, don't worry about it. Send them, send them a little birthday card or something. Happy birthday. <laughs> but everything you do is very much, I'm having this meeting. This is a value to you. And then I'm going to ask something that's valuable to me. Do that. I think face-to-face is going to come at a bit of a premium, isn't it, moving forward? There's a few things that you said, and I'm glad that you brought up LinkedIn and your personal brand, because I don't think I see enough creative agency account managers on LinkedIn, either engaging with their current clients online, if their clients are active, but also just sharing things that they're doing, updating their profile so it looks more creative and more engaging. I think that's a really easy fix and it doesn't take very much time. And also not to mention being creative in how they reach out to people. I think you made a really good point about the emails and 98% of the emails falling flat. Lucy Snell, I interviewed her on the podcast and she works for the creative industry and she's very, very good at helping agencies prospect for new business. And what she was saying, she was saying similar thing about emails and cold emails and how rather than send a cold email, send a personalized video message that looks as if you put some effort in and looks as if you've really done your research and you've worked out who you're talking to and why what you're saying is going to be valuable so that was the point i, w- I was going to make Ooh. james I'm, my, I'm my very... only other response to that is my, my email server will immediately spam that out uh, with a video attachment in it. <laughs> so your email all right on yeah. your email yeah, what about you, yeah well linkedin might be okay yeah do that I, I don't know i've never sent a video on linkedin but <laughs> new, this is the new messaging function that you have to check oh, it out okay <laughs> this has been amazing and i'm just very conscious of your time james have you got any perhaps parting words of wisdom or tips for someone who's listening to this thinking i really want to get into account management you know what do you think is important for me to to do or know i think well everything that's, that i do it works for me it may not work for anybody else but i think the thing i've always really impressed upon is that it's continually learning so and learning you can make sort of make your choice from a whole load of stuff that you pick up from don't just focus within your own industry or whatever your, your own selling focus on everything because the founding principles are exactly the same what works for somebody may not work for you don't do it don't be told you need to do something because it's the way of working. And there are a lot of sales methodologies that do that. This is the important thing to slice up. And the best thing about doing all those sales training that I've been on is I take elements of them that will work for me. And then I try and apply them as best I can because they help me. They have value to what I'm doing. And they help, you know, with time management is a really difficult thing to, to manage as well. So you know, I use these things to complement. And ultimately, in helping myself get organized, it means that I can be quicker to react to what the clients requires at particular times. So anybody who wants to get into account management, if you're looking back at it, I've either been a film director or a, or a guitarist in a band. So, you know, anyone that says they're passionate about doing this, they're lying. They're passionate about Star Wars. So they're passionate about football. They're, you know, are they passionate? They enjoy doing what they're doing. This role has enabled me to fulfill what I wanted outside of work. So I work to live and luckily I enjoy meeting new people. I enjoy meeting people for the first time and I enjoy learning about what they're doing. I found it incredibly fascinating learning about what companies do. So if you want to learn not only about how to sell and how to support customers, about what companies do, incredible tidbits about how, in my space, about how companies report customer details, stuff like that, amazing, about where we're going in technology i do what the future is going to be as well i'm very lucky that what i do is help me enable that interest and passion and enthusiasm of mine and i did a history degree 
So my goal was originally to bring the handwritten word back into technology sales. I failed miserably, and they told me I would do. The team at Pareto told me I would fail miserably when I was 21 years old doing that. I, I don't think I ever, I've ever written anything by hand. <laughs> but my principles were I wanted to bring something a bit more personal to it. And, and I think that if you want to get into it where you enjoy those aspects of it, of something new every day, of something, you know, and it's it's hard. It, it's, it's hard. There's a hell of a lot of legwork to get it there. But when you've managed to get there, it can transform everything. And again, Jenny, you know what's going on around me at the moment. So it, I, I can sort of put my family off the back of it. I mean, nothing more important than that. Brilliant. That's a lovely note to finish on. Thank you so much, James. I really appreciate it. You've provided so much value, so many tips. And I'm going to pull out some of these key learnings for us to take away to the creative industry. So thank you so much for joining me. And the best thing about working from home these days is I can just stress like this and get away with it. So no one cares. I'm not trying to show anymore. That's great. No, that's brilliant. Thank you so much, James. I really hope you came away with some ideas there for implementing what James has shared with us in your own role. And just a reminder that I will be kicking off my next Account Accelerator program on April the 15th, and that's 2021. And at the end of 90 days working with me, you'll come away with the skills to grow your existing accounts and also a client-centric growth plan. So if you want more details, please get in touch. It's Jenny Plant on LinkedIn or Jenny at accountmanagementskills.com. I look forward to speaking to you on the next one.